just like most episodes, this one contains strong language. Who are Kenyatta and Jack? We're just friends who are Gen Xers, former Air Force brats, parents, taxpayers, and citizens of the Earth. And we're here to save it one podcast at a time. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of Kenyatta and Jack Save the World. I, as always, am Kenyatta, and with me, as always, is my buddy and partner in crime and uh, loyal co-host, Jack. Hi, Jack. Hi, Kenyatta. How are you doing today? Um, It's a good day. It's a good day. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Things are Going well, living the bachelor life with the wife out of town right now. <laughs> but, you know, I'm I'm still I'm still doing the chores. I'm still doing the dishes and taking out the trash. So I was gonna ask if that was getting done, but I had a feeling it would be. Yeah, probably just force a habit. <laughs> well, you know why why wait until I guess when or Monday night, <laughs> <laughs> right before she's due back. Let me yeah. get this. Let me get this cleaned up. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but yeah. Um, otherwise, yeah, things are going well. Okay, I'm glad to hear it. Of course, um, today happens to be as we're recording is April second, and today is uh, Marvin Gaye's birthday. Yes, I saw you posted that on uh, social media. Yes, he would have been. Let me do my. Uh, let's see, born 1939, so he would have been 83. 83. 83. Yep. That's uh, as you as you saw yesterday. I was not happy that Raj. 73 <laughs> you know, the actor who played raj on uh good times is 73 and i'm like no no he just left to go to college what's happening what's, <laughs> what's, what's happening? happening sorry what's not happening? good times what happening yeah um, yeah <laughs> he just left for college he cannot be that old and um i don't care i'm gonna go find <laughs> his birth certificate and shave some dates off because mm. If he's that old, that means I'm the age I am now. <laughs> I mean, you can't as as much as I sympathize with you, because like every every birthday my kid has, I feel older, so I, I get it. At the same time, though, it's like, yeah, you know, time doesn't do anything but move on. So I guess we better get ready. Cause you know, these are yeah. the golden years are closer than we think. <laughs> yeah, of course we can't forget there was that one season um Maybe it was two where they brought it back like six or seven years later and it was what's happening now. Yeah. Mm. I don't want to talk about it. I don't mean no harm. But <laughs> it wasn't what it used to be. I'll put it that way. Yeah. I'll they should do like way. a reunion one where he's like a grandpa. Oh, that would definitely be that would definitely be something. I just remember seeing him when he did his guest spots on Everybody Hates Chris. And I'm not alluding to anything by mentioning this show, but he had a he had a, a reoccurring guest spot where he played a, a a resident of the brownstone that 
mm-hmm. Chris's family owned. He was, I think he was a mortician or something like that, but he was real sketchy with the stuff. Okay. He would like every episode he would, he would always have a different lady friend coming to visit him and stuff. And he would ask like weird favors of Chris's mom. And she'd be staring at him like, I think one episode he said, do you have any nylon pantyhose that you could spare? She was like, pantyhose. And he didn't say why he was just like pantyhose. I was, yeah, he, that was, he, that was a funny character on that show. So he's a good comedic actor. I like him. Yeah. Yeah. I want, they could do it. And, uh, I wonder, I wonder if his little sister is still going to be kind of jerky because she was not the uh, friendliest of characters. No, I don't know why they do that to little sisters in those shows sometimes because that little sister was a little annoying. Also, the little sister and everybody hates Chris. She was a little annoying. Yeah. I don't know why they do that. Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, sorry. I didn't mean to uh, take us off the rails <laughs> there, but that's. That's par for the course. So if, if, if our friends listening don't know that by now, I don't know what to tell you all, but thanks for being here. Thanks for being here. (laughs) Yes. So, uh, I guess we should move on to WTF. Yes. I can't remember which is it. Do I go first this week? You go first this week. It's you. Yes. All right. Uh, my WTF is going off uh, current world affairs. And that is, yesterday, apparently the Ukraine had two attack helicopters fly into Russia and then blow up a Russian, uh, I think it's like an oil refinery place or a fuel depot, something like that, in Russia. And the Russian government is complaining and bitching that the Ukrainians went and blew up some of their shit in Russia. Mm. That's like the bully in a Christmas story trying to file charges on Ralphie for beating the shit out of him <laughs> after, you know, he bullied everybody all that time. And then somebody finally stands up to him. Russia's like, we've destroyed multiple cities in your country, but how dare you fly into our country and blow crap up? The audacity of that <laughs> shouldn't be surprising considering how this whole conflict started, but you're, you're right. It's just like that. Like, and this is actually based on a true story somewhere about the burglar who broke in someone's house and the homeowner beat the crap out of him and the burglar turned around and tried to file a lawsuit. Yeah. Yeah. Really? (laughs) Like Russia, did you not think that maybe the Ukraine might be like, you know what? We're going to go and attack you. Like, hello, did you not see this coming? Yeah. And the Ukraine at least had the, I don't know the niceness, whatever, to not target civilian targets, like, say, Russia's doing. Or, you know, like, medical facilities. Yeah. I mean, there's some level of humanity there. Let's go figure. (laughs) Yeah. So, that's, uh, just like, oh my god, that, WTF Russia. (laughs) I mean, it's, it's been like that, you know, not just for the course of the last month and changed, but just for decades, really. Honestly. sort of, uh, stepped it up a a bit in the WTF and Mm. sort of, unless this was your thing while we're on the subject, former president is now asking Putin what you're doing is Russia's wrong, but could you give me some dirt on Biden? I don't know if you saw that speech. That's kind of uh, like just 
out in the air, open, you know, the stuff that he was accused of doing in 2016. Mm-hmm. You know, anyway. Not to mention that, you know, things seem to be turning up a little bit for Hunter here lately. We'll see what comes of that. <clears throat> yeah. And if, you know, Hunter Biden did do illegal crap, he should be investigated and whatever happens, happens. True. That's true. But uh, I don't know, man. I just, I just, it's one of those moments, not like, what? how do we put it? Like, there was something to it, but maybe not as much as folks think. Who knows? It's just yeah. a matter of just sitting and waiting and seeing what happens with that. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Not a, not a whole lot to talk about my WTF other than, I mean, really? You invade another country and then you're mad when they. Retaliate. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. Uh, I can't believe that. I just spent 20 minutes beating the crap out of you. And then you finally had the audacity to punch me back. <laughs> and then you're like, Oh my God. Okay. You yeah, hit sure. Me. <laughs> yeah, sure. Go ahead. Go ahead. You hit me. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> oh, that, that's what that's. Yeah. That's exactly what it amounts to. Like, how dare you retaliate and defend yourself? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, what's your WTF of the, uh, for the week? So mine is apropos of nothing, but I found it interesting and it made me giggle a little. Um, in the latest news about snakes on a plane mm-hmm. back in February of this year, um, a couple months ago, passengers on an Air Asia flight had their trip rerouted after spiting an spotting an uninvited passenger on the plane so a tiktok user put a video up showing what looks like a long snake crawling through like an overhead light fixture in the cabin so um the flight which was headed from malaysia to with well, a malaysian capital to uh a city called tewu tewau Sorry, I'm mispronouncing it. They had to make an emergency landing um, in route. And um, at the time the um, article was published, uh, AirAsia didn't respond to a uh, request for comment from NPR, but the airline's chief security officer confirmed that it did happen, according to a statement from um, CNN over there. And, quote, AirAsia is aware of the incident that occurred on the flight from Kuala Lumpur to Taiwan on Thursday, as soon as the captain was notified, the plane was diverted to Kuching to be disinfected. It's an interesting choice of word, disinfected. How about you just hunted it down and put it back wherever it belonged? Because obviously it belonged to somebody that was on the flight and was probably in a, I guess, like a cage or a carrier or whatever in the luggage compartment or whatever underneath the plane. But it tickled me. I'm like, it's snakes on the plane, y'all. Yeah. Except, you know, <laughs> like, Snakes on a plane was like the snakes were like actual weapons. I don't think that's what's happening here, but <laughs> right, right, yeah. I was that's like, uh, I would say that yeah, you need to divert and land when something like that happens because you know there's some jerk that probably had I don't know black mamba or something like mamba or something in there. You know, you can never tell anymore. I wish they had actually said in this in this small article that they had identify what kind of snake it was because uh, you know of course the party line is going to be there was no threat to anybody 
right. you know, on the plane, but they didn't say what kind of snake it was. Nonetheless, me, me being a person who already is suspicious of any animal that has no legs, if I saw something like that on the flight, something's happening. Something's happening somewhere. I'm screaming. I'm going to holler. I'm not like a chicken or soft, but it's a snake in a in a enclosed area, 25,000 miles above the earth. Something's going to happen. We're going to land somewhere and I'm the first person off the plane and I will never fly with your airline again. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what, I don't know what kind of SOP you've got in place here as far as transporting live cargo. I don't know. I don't care. You'll never see me again on your mode of transportation. (laughs) I'll be like Aretha Franklin. I will take buses everywhere for the rest of my life (laughs) i would never see overseas anything unless i'm on a boat i'm not no no (laughs) no thank you no (laughs) uh yeah to get back home you have to get a job on a cargo container ship (laughs) (laughs) no no absolutely not and i just i just i just read an article and i saw the picture you know that the uh, the passenger had posted, I was like, "That's a snake for real, for real. That's a snake." Ugh, no thanks. Yeah, that, I uh, I feel you. But that's my story. I thought I I thought I'd uh, talk about something that was apropos of nothing, just because I just I just found one of those. Ew. And now I want to go. I want to go back and watch Snakes on the Plane again, and not <laughs> not because it was a good movie. But because it's about snakes on a plane and it's yeah. Samuel Jackson, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I could see why. I could see why. <laughs> Sorry, that was a spoiler, kind of, uh, for anybody who has not seen Snakes on a Plane. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> snakes on a plane. Yes, and then the whole, and then there's a very, very um, paper thin premise as to why they're on the plane, but. If nothing else, watch it because it's something pretty novel. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah know. and it's got Samuel L. Jackson in it. So there you go, there you go. That alone should make it worth watching. <laughs> Who, by the way, was presented with a Lifetime Achievement Award this past Sunday night. So congrats to him. <laughs> yes, yeah. Um, <clears throat> I know other things happened that night, but. <clears throat> Yes, uh, Samuel L. Jackson's one of the hardest working men in Hollywood. That guy. Absolutely. That guy's always filming something. Absolutely. He's also in his 70s and he just keeps bopping right along. You can't stop him. You can't stop no, him. No, you can't. Yeah. He, uh, he definitely keeps going. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's our, there's our WTF segment. So, yes. Yes. Yeah. I guess we're ready to. <laughs> To move on to the meat of the uh, episode. Indeed. So to speak. And that involves you talking to all of us about William Wilberforce. Yes? Yes. William Wilberforce, a man that has a last name that sounds like he should be the lead singer of a Swedish metal band. It's possible. But... <laughs> <laughs> There could be one out there as we speak. We don't know. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
it, it sort of ties into what we were doing in February with people that are important to, um, obviously our take is, you know, black history is everybody's history. Uh-huh. Um, but this does sort of tie into black history in America because of what he did in England. Uh-huh. But he's not necessarily well known here in the States. But had he not did what he did, the abolitionist movement in the States might have been completely different. Uh-huh. So that's that's why he's sort of important, even though he's a a, a British chap. Chap. Yes. Well, he's British, so we have to say chap. You know what I mean? He's not a dude. He's a chap. So. <laughs> oh, the British. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> so as I was researching, pretty much as tends to happen sometimes with people that are born before, say, 1950, mm-hmm. there are multiple sources about the life of William Wilberforce, but they all basically say the same thing, just, you know, worded slightly different. Mm-hmm. And so I'm going to, uh, the information I decided to go with was from the Encyclopedia Britannica. And so um, there'll there'll be some reading on here because you kind of need to know a little bit of his backstory. Um, Not much, but just a little bit. So William Wilberforce was born August 24th, 1759 in Hull, Yorkshire, England. Uh, And he died July 29th, 1833 in London. He was a British politician who from 1787 was prominent in the struggle to abolish the slave trade and then to abolish slavery itself in uh, British overseas possessions. So he wasn't just trying to get rid of it and say England, like the islands proper. He wanted the whole empire, Uh which is uh, for the time, very, very forward thinking. If you think about it, Uh, a lot of times maybe they would have been, well, we'll get rid of it in the the home country, but we need those slaves in insert country here, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. territory here. But he was, uh, he wanted to get rid of it everywhere in the British empire. Mm-hmm. And he studied at St. John's college at the university of Cambridge, where he became a close friend with the future prime minister, William Pitt, the younger. And in 1780, both he and Pitt entered the house of commons. The House of Commons in England is more like uh, our House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason that Wilberforce was such a strong abolitionist was he was an evangelical Christian, uh, which he converted to in 1784, 85-ish. And his spiritual advisor was a man named John Newton, who himself actually was a former slave trader, but he had repented and become the pastor at Wilberforce's church when he was a child. And he was also a very strong abolitionist because he knew firsthand how people were treated on ships. And uh, he's also an interesting person to research on his own, <laughs> uh, but we're, we're not going to today. And so <laughs> in 1787, Wilberforce helped to found the Society for Effecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade. That would be interesting. No, you can't come up with any names for that. Uh, but li- <laughs> it, it was kind of wordy. And I think that's probably why it was more commonly called the Anti-Slavery Society. Uh, that's a little more catchy <laughs> than Society for Effecting the Abolition of the Slave Trade. Yeah, that's exactly why S.H.I.E.L.D. changed its name. 
Yeah, so, yeah. Makes sense. <laughs> and so he and his associates uh, was a man named Thomas Clarkson, uh, Granville Sharp, Henry Thornton, Charles Grant, Edward James Elliott, Zachary McCauley, and James Stephen were the people that founded it, and they were called saints, the saints of that sort of movement because they were so dead set on, you know, abolishment. And so uh, moving on a little bit, in the House of Commons, Wilberforce was an eloquent and indefatigable, I'm assuming that means he did not get tired, sponsor of anti-slavery legislation. In 1789, he introduced 12 resolutions against the slave trade and gave what many newspapers at the time considered among the most eloquent speeches ever delivered in the House of Commons. The resolutions were supported by Pitt, who at that time was now the Prime Minister, Charles Fox, who was an opponent of Pitt's, and Edmund Burke, but they failed to be enacted into law, and instead the issue was postponed until the next session of Parliament. In 1791, he again brought a motion to the House of Commons to abolish the slave trade, but it was defeated 163 to 88. In 1792, Wilberforce had the support of hundreds of thousands of British subjects who had signed petitions favoring the abolition of the slave trade, standing behind him. However, what ended up happening was a compromise measure that called for a gradual abolition of uh, the slave trade. And we all know that gradual means really, really, really slow <laughs> in these type of things. No, like the government. Okay. Yeah, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, it was for Wilberforce and his the people in the anti-slavery society, that was a big source of disappointment for them. And for the next 15 years, Wilberforce kept trying to achieve the goal of ending the slave trade. And he would, you know, continue to introduce bills to get rid of the slave trade. In 1807, he finally achieved success. On February 23rd, a bill to abolish the slave trade in the British West Indies was carried out, or was carried, voted, in the House of Commons for uh, 283 to 16, and it was accompanied by a chorus of hoorahs for Wilberforce. It became law on March 25th of that year. But as there always is with these type of things, mm. there's a but. Mm -hmm. The 1807 statue, statute did not, however, change the legal position of persons enslaved before its enactment, naturally. Mm. <laughs> and I guess the, it just says here, after several years in which Wilberforce was concerned with other issues, he and Sir Thomas Buxton urged... Um, I guess this was around 1821, the immediate emancipation of all slaves. And in 1823, he aided in organizing and became the vice president of, another great name coming up here, the Society for the Mitigation and Gradual Abolition of Slavery Throughout the British Dominions, which again was just called the Anti-Slavery Society. They should have just went with that to begin with, because <laughs> I mean, after, afterthought, you know. <laughs> like fellas yeah. can we can we can we tighten that up a little sure sure <laughs> yeah um so he ended up turning over the uh parliamentary leadership of getting rid of slavery to uh buxton and he retired from the house of commons in 1825 
And on July 26, 1833, the Slavery Abolition Act was passed by the Commons, and it became law the following month. And three days after that bill was passed, uh, William Wilberforce died, and he was buried at West, Westminster Abbey. And so here's a quote by a man named J.I. Packer. I'm not sure who he is, but he was a contemporary of William Wilberforce, I believe. So here's, here's what he said about him. William Wilberforce was a great man who impacted the Western world as few others have done. Blessed with brains, charm, influence, and initiative, much wealth, he put evangelicalism on Brit Britain's map as a power for social change, first by overthrowing the slave trade, almost single-handed, and then by generating a stream of societies for doing good and reducing evil in public life. To forget such men is foolish. Hmm. That's a heck of a legacy to leave behind, that's for sure. Yeah. And um, had he not did what he did over in Britain, the movement in the States to abolish slavery probably would have been a lot different because he was a man that showed you cannot give up. You have to keep, keep fighting. Mm -hmm. But there is a legacy of William Wilberforce, and that is there is... Wilberforce, Ontario. Mm -hmm. Wilberforce, New South Wales in Australia. Wilberforce, Ohio. And uh, also in Ontario, there's Wilberforce Colony, which was a colony um, of American black citizens that started in the 18th century. I am not sure if that is now Wilberforce, Ontario, the city, but it would make sense if it was the same uh, uh place you know same mm -hmm. city mm -hmm. and just eventually they dropped the colony and became wilberforce because they're both in ontario so i would assume that they're the same place mm -hmm. the country of sierra leone also has a wilberforce so worldwide there are a lot of places named after him uh rightfully so uh in and, whole oh, go ahead i'm sorry oh. To mention too, and because we actually talked about this in a previous episode, we mentioned Wilberforce specifically, and we found out right there on the fly that Wilberforce College and HBCU in uh, Ohio, in Wilberforce, Ohio, yep, I is was, also named after him. Yep, you that's on there? my list. Yep. Okay, yep. sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. There, there are actually um, college-wise, there's Wilberforce College in whole England, uh -huh. and then at that college. You know, there's colleges and then they have like the smaller sort of parts. There's the Wilberforce Institute, which is a research institute um, at the University of Hull in England. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, once again, that is probably the same place. And then there is Wilberforce School in Princeton Junction, New Jersey. And then as you just mentioned, Wilberforce University in Wilberforce, Ohio. Mm -hmm. So he's a man that obviously warrants you know everything that is named after him i think so and um but we just don't know enough about him anymore now there was a movie that was made about him that came out somewhere around 2006 ish seven ish mm -hmm. i believe it's called amazing grace why does that sound familiar um, he, he was friends with the man that wrote the song Amazing Grace. And 
Don't mm-hmm. quote me on this, but it may have even been that Newton fellow that uh, they mentioned earlier at the beginning, or I mentioned earlier at the be- you know, when I first started talking to him mm-hmm. or talking about him. Jeez, can I speak? Why does that? It sounds that sounds so. Fu- now I'm stuck. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to dig into this because that actually sounds familiar. That movie. That's a pretty mm. good movie. Mm, yeah. Okay. I'm happy to make a note. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, anyway, the thing that's interesting about William Wilberforce is that one of the the great people, people, persons, humans, <laughs> human beings from the 1800s and he was somebody that was especially in american history is obviously well known and that's frederick Douglass. right um and i don't know if william wilberforce was somebody that he knew a lot about counted you know viewed as like a personal hero type thing Mm -hmm. but frederick Douglass did know about him and on april 17th 1846 Frederick Douglass gave a speech in Paisley, Scotland, that he called British influence on the abolition movement in America. And the source for this is the Frederick Douglass Papers, Series 1, Dash Speeches, Debates, and Interviews. And it's uh, there's a book that was printed in 1979. It's Volume 1 on page 215. Mm-hmm. And then what I'm about to read, though, even though it came from that book, is actually what was printed in the Renfrewshire Advertiser, which was the local newspaper. And it was printed on April 25th of 1846. Um, I'm going to read this speech. It's a little it's a little lengthy, uh, but I am going to warn you because it was given in 1846. The syntax and the grammar is different than how we speak now. Mm-hmm. Now, it's not like reading Shakespeare different, yeah. but it is different enough um, that it does sound a little weird. And then, of course, obviously, um, I'm quoting, so some of the phrases or whatever are not me. That's just what was said at the time <laughs> or how it was said at the time. So I don't want anyone to think that I'm being a jerk. I'm just quoting Frederick Douglass. <laughs> oh, and now and the Okay. <laughs> so... Here we go. I will call your attention to that brighter aspect of our cause. It's progress in the world. More than 300 years ago, the slave trade was not only made legal, but it was also sanctioned and sanctified by the church. For 200 years, the traffic in human flesh was carried on by the Christian world, unchecked, undisturbed, unquestioned by any considerable number of the human family. There were, to be sure, occasionally found foes aroused, such as Granville Sharp in this country. It was not till 70 years ago that any stand was taken against the slave trade when a number of Quakers resolved to form themselves into an alliance and to seek its overthrow. At this time, the whole Christian world was engaged in the trade. It was regarded as a species of commerce as legitimate as any other, that then existed. The legislatures of various countries legalized it, protecting it 
by their arms and defending it in various ways. These Quakers gathered themselves together from time to time, contemplating the horrors of the Middle Passage and resolved to contribute their means for the publishing of tracts and circulating information throughout the country on the subject. They told their neighbors they were going to work out under God and overthrow of the slave trade. This was regarded by the multitude as an idle tell, as one of the most foolish attempts ever undertaken by any class of people. They met from time to time, devising and discussing matters, with hearts devoted to the sacred cause they went on, believing that God would eventually crown their efforts with complete success. There soon sprung up a Clarkson, who was, you'll recall, in that society with Wilberforce, mm -hmm. and a Wilberforce, to mention whom ought to produce three rounds of applause. Um, I'm assuming they mean that big round of applause happened there. Mm -hmm. It's just worded kind of odd. So I'm assuming those names were mentioned. The people in Scotland stood up, cheered for a lengthy period of time. Mm-hmm. Uh, continuing with uh, Frederick Douglass, um, when Wilberforce came forward, public attention became directed to the matter. Ten times did he introduce a bill for the abolition of the slave trade, and ten times it was doomed to defeat. Parliament sometimes laying the matter on the table, and at other times giving it an indefinite postponement. Convinced that justice, that humanity, that all nature was on his side, believing that by perseverance he would succeed, he went on with his good work. And what do we see take place within half a century? We see the slave trade, which was sanctioned by all Christians, is now nearly regarded as not only improper, but as piracy, and the men caught at it are hung up at the yardarm. I have been asked if I supposed the slavery of the United States would ever be abolished. It might as well be asking of be asked of me if God sat on his throne in heaven. So sure as truth is stronger than error, so sure as right is better than wrong, so sure as religion is better than infidelity, so sure must slavery of every form end in every land become extinct. Anti-slavery must triumph. God has decreed its triumph. All nature has proclaimed its triumph. So sure as the tears of the slaves are falling, so sure as the groans of the oppressed rend the air with the cry of, How long, O Lord God of Sabbath? So sure shall these things come to an end, not by a miracle, but by the force of truth. Who can calculate the great good that may result even from the present meeting. Who can calculate the power of such meetings exert in the United States? No slave over, slave holder, who may be acquainted with it, but will be struck in conscience with a certain feeling which must ever accompany a man with a wrong cause. Which gathered a bunch of cheers and applause. When meetings of this kind are held in this country, they confess they feel that the effect is to awaken, to arouse the energies of the humane and the anti-slavery cause in the United States. I do speak against an American institution. That institution is American slavery, but I love the Declaration of Independence. I believe it contains a true doctrine that all men are born equal. It is, however, because they do not carry out this principle that I am here to speak. 
I have a right to appeal to the people of Britain, to people everywhere. I would draw all men's attention to slavery. I would fix the indignant eye of the world on slavery. More cheers and applause. I would concentrate the moral and religious sentiment of the world against it. Even mm -hmm. bigger applause, it says. Mm -hmm. Until the weight of its overwhelming influence, slavery must be swept off the face of the earth. And then it says even louder cheering. <laughs> mm -hmm. I believe I have a right to do this. God has not built up such walls between nations as they may not be brethren to each other. I am a man before I am an American. To be a man is above being an American. To be a human being is to have claims above all the claims of nationality. Once again, loud cheers. Mm -hmm. But I have no nation. America only welcomes me to her shores as a brute. She spurns the idea of treating me in any other way than as a brute. She would not receive me as a man. It, apparently, then the crowd started chanting shame. So that's his, uh, that's his quote. And obviously, he knew who uh, William Wilberforce was. Mm -hmm. And I would have to assume that even though he doesn't necessarily go into depth that he probably was somebody that he looked uh towards as perseverance yeah yeah um but i found that to just be a very the whole speech in general i found to be uh very fascinating mm -hmm. and very interesting and um to be alive and know that a large portion of the you know the people that lived around you thought of you as a brute <laughs> yeah you know that that's obviously probably difficult but i just found that whole thing interesting that he was able to do that uh and yeah he did it in scotland but those are still some really um it's an interesting speech that's really on point and i don't know if it is talked about in the states like it should be because obviously he did so many but to me i just felt that was worded really really well and everything i'm sure well i mean obviously douglas is is an iconic figure as it were in the history of the united states but i think to to get the full aspect of the kind of man that he was and his philosophies about things you'd have to dig around not hard, but yeah. you, you'd have to be focused on finding those things. And I'm sure there's probably, you know, I'm sure that speech is probably somewhere in a book or some kind of biography about him. But the thing about it is, is that when, what year was that? Uh, hang on here. 1846. So that was still almost 20 years before, well, 15 years before the Civil War. Right. So... Clearly, it wasn't something that was going to be the talk of the water cooler at that time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. If, even, you know, even if and when or what point it made it back to the States, you know, obviously, those who were invested in, in retaining the, uh, that peculiar institution, they weren't going to listen to this. They weren't going to yeah. give it any. Yeah, they, they, they weren't going to give it any any measure of the points that it deserved, regardless if it was Douglas making the speech or who it was he was referring to, unfortunately. And, and for him to say, um, which I think has been said many times, not just by him, but by others, that 
you know, while the declaration says all men are created equal, but it's obvious that that's not in practice, you know, that still yeah. rings, that still rings true now in certain circumstances when you think about it. Yeah. So I don't know, just like the thought about we're still talking about some of the same things centuries later, it's just, it's, it's exhausting. <laughs> yeah. Um, sort of my takeaway mm. though is, Yes, schools teach about Frederick Douglass. Mm -hmm. But I think maybe they should add that not only did Frederick Douglass work in the states to end slavery, he went to other countries so they would put pressure on the states mm -hmm. to end slavery. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a very, I don't know, super important part of the life of Frederick Douglass that just oh, yeah. isn't communicated to people. <laughs> but it should be. It should be. And I, I think that's part of the whole the, the whole soft peddling of those parts of history that get fed to school kids like they want to, you know, educators and the people that write those textbooks, they want to make it as palatable as possible. And they've, they've been doing it. And now it's now we're seeing all the quiet parts spoken out loud, but we're not going to make them feel guilty for being white it's not what this it's not what any of this is about yeah as yeah. far as learning the wider and truer history about certain historical figures that's not what any of this has ever been about so that's unfortunate that's still gonna i think it's gonna be in the way still for some time and i agree wholeheartedly that that you know that particular aspect of his work should be fully acknowledged but it's going to take a while for figures like him and others to be yeah honestly represented as far as uh education is concerned that's a shame yeah like we're in 20 we're in 2022 like we're in the third decade of the 21st century for heaven's sakes and we're still having yeah. these struggles you know <laughs> yeah and you know if you think about it frederick Douglass obviously was tirelessly tried to end slavery mm -hmm. but it's not like he could just you know hop on northwest and fly over to england and give his speech and then fly back mm -hmm. know, that was what a a month-long journey by ship yep to england and then mm -hmm. who knows how long he's you know stayed there giving speeches because mm -hmm. i'm sure it was more than one right <laughs> you know and then yes. to have to sell back to the mm -hmm. states you know that's that's a lot more effort kind of compared to the you know, toll on you physically having to do all of that massive amount of traveling versus now you can just take a plane or even a car. Yeah. That not just not just the physical toll of traveling, just like the emotional toll of yeah. having to and not just him, but folks like Wilberforce and those like him in other countries that were working towards this end as far as uh, abolishing slavery. I, I can't imagine the mental, the mental toll it takes to yeah, actually it, work through this. And you're trying to convince you like it. It literally sounds it sounds ridiculous that you literally have to convince other people of your humanity. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. It, mm. You know it. Both Wilberforce and uh, Douglas show you that perseverance, even though you're going to have setbacks, you just got to persevere <laughs> and, yeah um you know who knows how different sort of the course of the world would have been had wilberforce not 
decided, <laughs> you know, I am going to do whatever I can to end this horrific trade. Mm-hmm. And not just in, you know, England proper, the whole empire. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, and even with the work that he did and, and the fact that they did manage to end slavery there earlier than in the States, the fact that, you know, the powers that be on this side of the pond were still so adamant about continuing it. It's like, <sighs> yeah. like we had to fight a whole war <laughs> for you guys to get the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a whole war. And even still, you were like, nah, nah, we don't accept it. We don't accept yeah. it. Like, I'm, th- I'm thinking about um, the story 12 Years a Slave. You know, it's based yeah. on a true story. And I read the book. And it's like a man's account of he literally was born a free man in New York and was kidnapped and, and had his name changed. All of his identity pretty much wiped away and yeah. bought and sold as a slave in the South. Like, uh, like you know, folks were adamant about we're going to keep doing what we want to keep doing. I mean, granted, slavery was still, quote unquote, legal then, but... The idea of like being able to literally snatch a man out of his own life. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> as, as I've said before on, mm-hmm. on this podcast and in my personal life, there are always those that will argue that the South did not secede because of slavery, mm. but because it was a state's rights issue, which they are correct. However, the state right that they wanted to keep was slavery. <laughs> like, how do you how do you start how do you how do you start giving an explanation? And you stop halfway through. Like, yeah. yes, it's it's a state right, a state's right to do what? Go ahead and say the rest what, of it. What what was that right they were trying <laughs> to keep with their states? Slavery. What? Slavery. Okay. Yeah, so yeah, it, it, <laughs> you know, it wasn't to tax. You know peppermint patties no no or the right to keep more than you know four dogs at your residence no it wouldn't no it was it wasn't (laughs) that's what it always it 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 makes me laugh in in the most backwards way when it's like that's the explanation they keep coming up it wasn't slavery with states rights states rights do what what no no you need to (laughs) you need to knock off with the fairy tale i'm i'm sorry I'm not sorry, but no. (laughs) You're only halfway there. (laughs) Yeah. So the sooner we acknowledge what all that was really about, the better off we'll all be. And you don't have to like the truth, but that's the truth. So Yeah. And as I've also, another thing I've said, history is ugly. But if you don't talk about the ugly parts, you're just going to repeat them over and over and over again oh boy you have to know about the ugly parts Uh oh boy you know what Mm. we all have some ancestor that was probably a giant you know douchebag asshole everyone alive has somebody in their past that that is a qualification for most likely yes but you don't have to feel bad i mean you could be like, man, that really sucks. My ancestor did X, Y, and Z, and that was horrible. But mm-hmm. that's not a reflection on me personally. Right. I didn't do it. 
you didn't do what your a-hole ancestor 500, whenever, you know, mm-hmm. years ago. Yeah. But you still need to acknowledge that this happened in the past and that your ancestor did it. Obviously, lots of people's ancestors did really shitty stuff where the shitty stuff wouldn't have happened. I mean, you can't keep passing it off to somebody else. Great, 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 grandpa. Yeah. I mean, there's nobody left if you keep passing the buck. You acknowledge that that was the way it was then. That was a mindset. But gratefully, many people in this country have outgrown it or evolved at that mindset. And they've managed to hand that enlightened wisdom down. Not everybody, clearly, but enough. Enough. So that, like you said, it's no reflection on you as a person. It shouldn't be. Yeah, that and it, way. you know, because you acknowledge it, then that means that you're capable of doing your part, however small, mm-hmm. to make sure it doesn't happen again. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a bunch of small parts make, you know, the thing. <laughs> it does. Why in the world? And now that we, we talk about that, that reminds me of that delicious 90s sitcom Saved by the Bell. Mm-hmm. The episode where Jesse finds out that some of her ancestors own slaves. And then, of course, she becomes all befuddled and stuff and starts trailing behind uh, Lisa for like the rest of the episode. Like, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. What are you talking about? What are you sorry for this? It wasn't you. It wasn't your parents or anything like that. This just happens to be a part of your legacy. And it's one that's distasteful true enough but why are you walking around with the bleeding heart like you need to make it up to every black person you see that's not nobody wants that for you nobody wants that i guarantee you there are people walking around the united states today who have an ancestor that owns slaves but also has an ancestor that fought to end slavery right so you know, yeah, you may have had a shitty ancestor, but you probably also had one that was on the opposite side doing what they could to stop for the time. Or, or did something as equally important, perhaps, yeah. in the course of history. It may not necessarily been in regards to that time period, but it may have been something else later on down the line. You just don't know. Yeah. Unless, you know, you're you're fortunate enough to be able to find research it and find these things to be able to verify it. You never know. Yeah. So... I'm sorry, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, we don't hold the children of serial killers accountable for the act that their serial killer parent did. No. So don't hold yourself accountable for the crappiness that your ancestor did. Acknowledge it so it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. Make sure, you know, your family knows about it so it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. But that's not a reflection on you as a person. No. I I just wish... I just wish more people that count themselves as allies understand that you don't have to walk around with like an open wound. Like you can be concerned and involved with the equality of all people in this country. And that's, and that's fair. That's hi Hickey. That's fair. (laughs) That's, that's something that, as a reasonable human being, me personally, I would expect. 
what I don't particularly care for is all that performative stuff. Like I can, I have no problem with you being empathetic when you see a story on the news about something unfortunate happening to a person of color. I would hope you would be, but at the same time, and I've seen this, unfortunately, and, um, you know, my social media feeds and things like that. Like, why are you over here, like about to pass out behind it? Why am I, why am I sitting here looking at you thinking you're looking for more, more sympathy and attention than you require? Like, do you require more attention than the actual issue does? Mm, No, there's a, there's a way to come at it and be supportive that doesn't involve you having to, you know, self-flagellate. I, Am I making sense? Is that or am I yeah. babbling? You know what no, I'm saying? You are. It, it, <clears throat> it kind of ties into what we've discussed before about how I I go the opposite route because I don't want it to seem like I'm only doing it to put a spotlight on me of like, oh, see, hey, look, I'm doing this. See, I'm this way. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. that's what you're getting at. It's almost, you know, oh, hey, look at me. I I think this is the horrible, awful thing. And it needs to be something that's done regularly. Right. And is an internal practice that you do. Mm-hmm. And you don't mention. I mean, you can push the story and this is wrong, but mm-hmm. it's not done in a way that shines the light on you as a person. Right. And because I don't want to be seen as that person, I end up freezing and going the other way. <laughs> like then we've talked about it, you know, before. And I don't I don't think that at all in your case. And, which is good. Otherwise, I wouldn't be interested in actually talking to you on a regular basis. <laughs> right. We wouldn't have a podcast together talking it, about this shit. <laughs> we would not. That would not be happening. I would be spending this day, you know, laid up in the guise of quote unquote relaxing. No, but I, I want to get up here and I want to do these things and have these talks because for me, as just as you mentioned, for me, this has been, this experience has been eye opening. Because I had I had my own myopic view about things for a very long time. And I realized I was being unfair and I was cheating myself and other people that may have something to share. So for me also, this has been a remarkable growth process. At the same time, it's allowed me to, like I said, allowed me to see those people that call themselves allies in how sometimes they're pl- it seems to be they're just playing a performative game and it, it, it yeah. makes me ill. Yeah. So I'm like, mm. I understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. But now I see people that are like that and I'm like, do you really mean that? Or are you just doing it? Cause it looks good. Yeah. Is it optics for you? Yeah. Very so, much. So I get uh, that. It's definitely an interesting, <laughs> I don't know, dynamic, whatever. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know. <laughs> no, oh, I get you. But just like you said, you know, and talking about Wilberforce and also Douglas, it's just a matter of perseverance. Now, who needs to persevere at this point is often up for debate, but everybody that's interested in in some some growth as far as this country is at large needs to be interested. I think yeah. it's a, it's a, it's a hard battle, but I think it's just going to be one as, as long as this country exists, as it does, it's going to be a slow, slow, frustrating, slow 
evolution. Yeah. Sort of like the formation of the Grand Canyon. Slow, <laughs> slow. <laughs> you know, I used to sort of think of it as, you know, for lack of a better term, race relations in the U.S. Uh -huh. is a marathon. But I've since decided it's one of those crazy people that runs a marathon a day for like two months. That's really what this journey yeah. has been. It's not a marathon. We're somewhere in like, you know, the third week of a marathon a day. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it really is. That's that's a sad thing to realize. Mm -hmm. But I guess eventually you get to the end of your 60-day marathon a day. <laughs> you're, like, you're like, Lord, I'm tired. I just... <laughs> yeah, like, I, I've, I've seen the pictures... Of, of the legs of marathoners. And I'm like, that looks like it hurts. <laughs> yeah, or better yet, not a marathon a day. It's like when Forrest Gump took off running and then he ran for like five years. <laughs> yes. Like that man grew a whole beard in, in, in things. I, it was, and then all of a sudden he was like, I'm done I'm going back home. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, are we ever going to get to that point where we're done. <laughs> We're done. Like we've done enough. Like this is this is where it's going to be, and that's it. Yeah. I don't know. Sometimes I don't know. It doesn't leave me. Some days it leaves me less hopeful. I'm not gonna lie. But most of the time, I'm like, just keep a lookout when you see notes of positivity. When you see um, a story about this happening and this happened again, it's not like looking at things that are performative. Yeah. It's about noticing the things that other people catch. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not a it's not a story about someone filming themselves doing something fantastic. I don't want to see that. I don't. That's how I feel about missionary work sometimes. And yeah. forgive me, listening friends, if I'm saying anything that sounds like I'm stepping on toes that I'm not. If you're going to go help people in somewhere other than your native country, you don't need to make a show of it. Just do the work. And do what you yeah. can. You don't, there doesn't need to be pictures. I don't want to see a documentary. I don't know. It's so yeah. off to me. Don't, uh, hmm. don't upload you giving a pair of socks to a homeless person. And yeah. Upload it on TikTok. I don't want to. Socks. Yeah. Do whatever you're going to do and let the fact that you did it be enough. Good works don't need proof. I mean, that's how I feel about it. Yeah. You know, you did it. You know, you did it. Oh, boy. What a wonderful world this could be. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Oh, boy. Anyway, but yes, thank you for that. That was very, very interesting look at the long, 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 disturbing history of slavery and all the things therein. But that was a very good talk. That was that was good to learn about Wilberforce. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I, obviously somebody worth worth noting. Oh, yeah. Definitely. So. Definitely. Yes. So do you have any closing thoughts or anything you'd like to just go completely off the rails about like we do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I mean, other than always, always try to keep in mind somebody is going through something. You don't know what they're going through. Mm -hmm. They can have a big old smile on their face and be laughing and joking and they could be going through mentally just a landmine field, but they're hiding it and you don't mm. know it. So always, always keep that in mind when, when dealing with people, mm -hmm. someone cut you off in traffic, flip them off. No. <laughs> 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 I, 
I've been trying to be better about it. I, I swear I, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I <yeah>. just. <laughs> But, but yes. yeah, that's really sort of my thing. People are always going through something and just try to remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say that because without, I mean, I'm not coming in here to beat a dead horse. I'm not mentioning that, that incident in particular, but this past week has just shown me how very little people show other people grace. And just like you said, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes or what happens in someone's own four walls. We can't always jump to conclusions or make, you know, vulgar assumptions about what may or may not be motivating them on things. But as it were, no matter what you're looking at and no matter what you think you know about it or, you know, what your own perceptions or experiences project on it, a little bit of grace goes a long way, especially for yourself. But even like you said, for people you don't know. You just don't know. So just assume everybody's having a shitty day and start from there. <laughs> yeah. And I'll, I'll tell you something. I don't know if you've heard of the comedian D.L. Hughley. Yeah. I know who he is. I remember when he was Daryl. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, he's, he's not, he's not ever been one of my favorite comedians because of his brain of comedy, but I I've seen, and just this one thing I watched, um, he has a podcast of his own. And um, there was a clip of it that I watched a couple of days ago on, you know, this this week's newsworthy incident. And he brought up the idea of providing people grace in that most of us carry a measure of trauma, large or small, that when your trauma meets someone else's trauma, explosive things can happen. And I I think that applies to a lot of people when they're, when there's conflict or you're having interpersonal conflict, your piece of trauma that you don't even know you're operating off of meets someone else's. And you have to be mindful of we're all dealing with something Mm -hmm. at some point or another. So yeah, I think grace goes a long way. It really does, or it really can. Yep. So I just put that out there for folks to keep in mind as we keep moving through this human experience. Hmm. That's right. That's my final word there. So (laughs) I think those are nice words. Yeah. Yeah, I guess we're going to go ahead and wrap up Mm -hmm. the show. We've, I mean, we could keep going on for a considerable length of time but (laughs) it's saturday we both have things we need to get going on so true true (sighs) so So, yeah i'm sorry i just got you off Uh, (laughs) i was was just gonna tell our listening friends you know till we meet again have a have a great time indeed yeah indeed and um as as we like to say it's good to be good so be good, to, be good to yourselves and others, even though some will take uh, far more effort than others. So keep it in mind. <laughs> yep, keep yep. it in mind. And with that, I'm going to say bye. Goodbye, friends. Till next time. As always, thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review, hit that like button, and subscribe on your preferred podcast platform. 
Your feedback is valuable and we welcome it. If you would like to contact, connect with, or just want to see what we talk about between episodes, you can find us on Facebook under our podcast name, on Instagram at K-A-Y-A-N-D-J-A-Y-S-T-W, our website, podpage.com slash Kenyatta-Jack-Save-The-World, or email at k.j.savetheworld at gmail.com. If you would like to learn about and contribute to our chosen charities, you can do so at Service Dog Project at servicedogproject.org and Black Women's Health Initiative at bwhi.org. Kenyatta and Jack Save the World is a product of Hyper Focus Podcasts.